Girlfriends, episode number 86, Five Ways to Start Your Day Right. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we're talking about long weekends, first apartments, how to start your day right, and finally, learning to trust in Jesus. That's a lot of topics to cover, so let's get going. Hey, girlfriends. How are you? Happy New Week. Happy Labor Day. A little belated. Today's Tuesday. I'm actually recording this on Tuesday because... I did take a long weekend. It was very nice. It was beautiful weather here in New Hampshire. And Dan had the time off from work. The kids had the time off from school. And we had a long weekend, which was wonderful. And I really enjoyed it yesterday, especially on Monday. Having that extra day was so nice because Sunday felt a little bit crazy. I was helping Dan out at um, his new escape room business. Sunday was crazy there. Uh, wow. I guess everybody wanted to go to an escape room because it was, it's actually raining. That was the one day in the weekend that we didn't have good weather. Anyway, it was very busy. And so it was nice to have yesterday and just be home. And Eamon, my oldest son came home. He's the one that goes to college not too far away. And, uh, he had his first week of school, moved into his apartment This is a new thing this year for him where he's not staying in the dorms on campus. It's actually a campus-owned apartment that he's in with three other guys. And I just thought it was really funny um, that, you know, during the week when they were getting settled in and figuring stuff out, they went grocery shopping and he texted me a few pictures of their goods they got when they were grocery shopping. Like several large tubs of peanut butter are in their cabinet. About five dozen eggs are in the fridge, (laughs) loaves of bread, packages of ramen, Um, you know, but they're figuring stuff out. And it was really funny. He made sort of like a little comment when he was home yesterday and said, you know, it really stinks having to go shopping and buy all your own food and make your own food and pay for everything yourself. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's really kind of funny. Um, but I think it's good for him. And he, he likes the independence, so he's really motivated by that part. Um, but I think there's going to be some figuring out along the way. I was texting with my sisters about that very thing. Some of them have children who are doing the same sorts of things, newly discovered independence. And one of my younger sisters remembered that when she first lived on her own after college, uh, that she lived on, uh, Tina's burritos, like frozen burritos. And she, she said that they should have a tagline on the product that says, the taste of independence. <laughs> Tina's burritos, yum. Anyway, I, I thought that was funny. I didn't live on my own. I actually, okay. I have never lived on my own because I lived at college with roommates. And then for my last two years of college, I transferred and I was commuting to college. So I lived with my parents and then I got married and Dan and I lived in a tiny little one bedroom apartment in the city. That was a really long time ago, but yeah. So that was my first taste of independence was, um, moving in with Dan and living in our tiny apartment. Anyway, it kind of brings back these memories, seeing my kids going through these same life transitions that I did and having the same kinds of reactions, facing similar challenges. And honestly, it's ridiculous because it doesn't seem that long ago. 
And I know I was a toddler once, but when my kids were toddlers, I wasn't exactly recalling when I was a toddler, you know? So it's, it's interesting now that they're older and it's stuff that's more fresh in my memory, things that I can really remember and some really challenging times and some sweet times. And now my role is to be supportive of them going through that. It feels very different, very different. I guess I'm getting old or something like that. Anyway, so that was our weekend. Eamon was home and we had the long weekend and uh, we had a beautiful mass. You know, I something I have really come to appreciate as my kids have gotten older is, you know, we talked last week about setting the Lord's Day apart, keeping the Lord's Day holy. I really appreciate going to mass when my whole family can be with me. It happens so rarely now. Um, we used to have a 12 passenger van and everybody would pile into it on Sunday mornings. And that's how we all went to mass at the same time, but work schedules and, you know, some kids not even living at home during the school year anymore and that kind of thing. It's pretty rare that everybody goes to mass at the same time for, uh, our family. So, um, I cherish those times. And even when we can't all be together, when most of us are, I really like it. I think that's really special and really nice. And it happened a few times this summer. So really grateful for those opportunities. I hope you had a good long weekend. I hope you're ready to dive into this Tuesday that feels like a Monday. (laughs) It's really that way this week. Anyway, speaking of being ready to dive into your day this week, our topic is five ways to start your day right. Are you a morning person? I am not a morning person, so it's pretty funny that I'm actually even going to talk about this topic. But this is something I've gotten better about doing in, I don't know, maybe the past five or six years. I've gotten into more of morning routines and been better about realizing the importance of morning routines. I mean, I used to not have a routine. I used to just get up at the very last second I possibly could and scramble around to do what I had to before Dan left for work or before I had to be somewhere or the kids had to be somewhere. It was misery. So of course I hated mornings. And you know what? I'm still not the kind of person that naturally gets up early in the morning. I much prefer to stay up late at night. (laughs) And I have friends who go to sleep at like nine o'clock every night and they're like foreign creatures to me. I do not understand that at all. I really enjoy having evening time. And I used to stay up a lot later when, um, let's see, it's going back probably 10 years, maybe even more, when all my kids were little and I was writing part-time and, you know, doing different projects and um, whatnot. And I used to stay up crazy late to work on my writing projects. It was the only time that I could have where I could work for an uninterrupted, you know, few hours. And I just did that. And I guess I was young enough to pull it off. I really did compromise my sleep for many years. And, uh, I mean, it was my choice. Nobody was making me do that. Uh, but I think about it now and, um, I've definitely transitioned into a different phase of life where I am not willing to compromise my sleep on an ongoing basis like that. And I do recognize the health value of getting regular quality sleep and that it's an important part of keeping your body healthy and of feeling good and being productive in, during your daytime hours. But my life allows for that now. I, I do have times in the day where I can work uninterrupted. Um, my kids are older. It's very different life circumstances. So it's not demanding that of me anymore. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. But like I said, I'm not naturally a morning person and maybe you're not either, but I think there are ways we can all sort of 
be more conscious of how we're starting our day, ways that can help us to get a better start to our days, ways that can help us to set ourselves up for success in our days, whether you're a mom at home with little kids, or if you're going to a workplace, or if you're in school, or if you're retired and you've got grandchildren you help take care of, whatever it is that life is bringing to you, whatever your responsibilities in your life are right now, we can all benefit from consciously making an effort to begin our days the right way. And, um, you know, there's no moral judgment here, of course, but there's, there is, in my opinion, ways that you can set yourself up for success versus what I used to do, like I described, just a crazy morning scramble and kind of setting yourself up for failure that way, starting it out. It feels terrible to start your day wrong. I, I know we've all had that experience, I'm sure, where your day, you just, you know, you get out of the wrong side of the bed. That's um, is one way that we put it, but just where everything goes wrong first thing in the morning and you just feel challenged and defeated first thing in the morning. That's terrible. That's miserable. So some ways we can avoid that. So the number one way, I'm going to share five different things here, but the number one thing I want to share is get up early enough now, I told you, I used to get up at the very last possible minute, hit snooze like 15 times, and then just be like in an all-out mad scramble because I was late. That's terrible. It feels horrible. We all know this. Um, and those of us who do it on a daily basis know it's a bad habit and that it's not really serving us in the long run. And one thing that I find it helpful to remember when I'm setting my alarm is, you know what? It feels good in the morning to have enough time. It feels good to have a little space in your schedule to sit for five minutes and enjoy a cup of coffee or to, to just move from one task to the next without being in that panic mode of I'm running late. You know, that adrenaline shot first thing in the morning is a miserable experience. So when you're deciding when to get up and setting your alarm, give yourself enough time. And for some people, like my son used to, uh, my son Ambrose, he's in Florida now at school. But when he was home and he was going to high school and leaving crazy early in the morning, he used to get up at what I thought was a ridiculously early time. And he's just very different from me in that way. He's more of a morning person, I think, than I am. But he would get up, I thought it was crazy early, but it was all to have enough time to do his things. He had, um, you know, certain uh, medical treatments he had to do. I, I've shared with you before that he has cystic fibrosis. But it wasn't just that. It was that, you know, he had maybe some some work he wanted to do, some reading he wanted to do. He wanted to allow for enough time for that. And oh, he also used to watch a little bit of news that he had recorded the night before. He had a routine. And uh, that was really admirable. And uh, it was all like his own recognition that, I feel better when I have enough time to do these things in the morning before I have to be somewhere. Pretty mature, I think, because I haven't always been that mature in making my morning plans and in setting my alarm clock for the right time. And then the second part of that, you know, once you've set your alarm and you've made sure you have enough time in the morning, well, don't hit snooze a thousand times. Snooze is misery. It really is. I mean, you're not enjoying that extra sleep. And your body's not even really benefiting from it. You're you're not getting some deep, restful kind of sleep there. And one thing I do that kind of motivates me, I never use snooze anymore. I used to use it a lot in college. Um, but one thing that motivates me to not hit the snooze button is to remember, like, whenever I do get out of bed, it's going to be hard. It's it's challenge to get out of bed, right? 
and I have to do it eventually. So let's just do it first thing and stop postponing it. And cause you're not really benefiting from that extra rest you're getting at that point. Anyway, you know, just remind yourself of that. And all of this that I'm sharing with you about, you know, setting your alarm and getting up on time and having enough time, you know, I completely understand if you are in a stage of life where you're not even getting regular sleep because I've been there. I've done that. I completely understand it. But I mean, what I'm sharing here are ideals. Okay. It's like I said, it's not some moral failing if you aren't able to hit that ideal. And if you've been up all night with a baby, if you've been up all night with, you know, changing bed sheets or with a teething infant or whatever it is that's gotten you out of bed several times the night before, I've been there. I get it. And yeah, maybe you're not going to be able to leap right out of bed when your alarm rings or, um, you know, maybe you're not going to be able to plan the ideal morning. But as much as possible, I think we're setting ourselves up for success when we do make that effort to get up on time, give yourself enough time. Consider it a gift that you give to yourself. So often the things that I find difficult, if I reframe it in my mind as this is something I'm doing for me, this is going to make my life easier. This is going to make me a happier person. I'm going to feel better throughout the day if I do this thing. Then my mind switches about it. It's not something somebody's forcing upon me. It's something I'm doing for myself. I've done that with, you know, getting out of bed in the morning for sure, but also with things like getting all the laundry caught up. I used to feel so put upon by laundry. I've talked a lot about laundry here. Anyway, not going to go off on this tangent too far, but the idea of getting all the laundry done all the way through the steps, and you know what I mean, not leaving it in the dryer, not leaving it in piles of clean clothes on your bed or whatever your bad habit is. I used to indulge in all of them. But I I reframed the whole concept of doing the laundry like, okay, each day when, when I do laundry, following all the way through all the steps, and maybe that means recruiting help to do it, but going through all the steps of washing, drying, folding, put away, the put away was where I always got tripped up, was a gift to myself because I felt so good when it was done and I didn't feel overwhelmed and I didn't have piles of laundry just lying around getting wrinkled everywhere and getting dirty again. Such a relief to me. So, you know, apply that same concept to when you get up. This is a gift you're going to give yourself. Getting out of bed when the alarm rings or when someone wakes you or, um, just allowing enough time for yourself in the morning. It's a gift you can give to yourself that's going to make a huge difference in how you feel going into your day. It's a big thing. Okay. The second way to start your day right is to connect. Now, I do not mean with your phone. Okay. Do not connect with your phone first thing in the morning. This is something that I... I'm I'm pretty good about not jumping right on my phone in the morning, but I still do use my phone as an alarm and I still do charge it right next to my bed at night. There's no reason to do that. That's stupid. And I need to uh, quit. I need to charge it somewhere else. Um, I've heard a lot of people report that they have, they have uh, great results with just charging their phone downstairs at night if their bedroom's upstairs. And then they have their whole nighttime routine that doesn't involve being on their phone at all. Too many of us go to sleep. Like last thing you do is check your phone. And first thing you do in the morning is check your phone, hop right on email or check your texts or whatever it is. Oh, that's horrible. We're like slaves to these phones. So like I said, I'm pretty good about not hopping on my phone and checking all of my email or checking the news or whatever. But uh, I think I could be better. I could use some other way of getting up in the morning. They still do make alarm clocks. 
just a clock that you can have next to your bed that will wake you on time or using a timer or whatever. So yeah, that's my goal. Anyway, now that I've shared it with you all, I have to do it. And just charging my phone in a different place so that before you go to bed at night, you know, to prepare yourself to get a good night's sleep, not be looking at a screen. You know, you've read these studies. You know, you've seen this information that that blue light is really bad for you. Taking in that light through your eyes is disruptive to your sleep patterns. So doing that before bed is very bad. But then getting up in the morning and just hitting yourself with whatever it is, what's in your email, there's not an emergency in your email. There's not an emergency in your texts. You know, just give yourself the, the morning to those first few you know minutes of your morning to not get bombarded by somebody else's agenda. And that's what all of those things are, especially if you work and you have work email, checking that first thing in the morning. You know what? Claim that time for you, for yourself, for your family. So that's what I'm talking about when I say connect. Connect. Well, first of all, important to connect with God, but also connect with yourself, connect with other people in your life, connect with your spouse, connect with your children, have a human connection first thing in the morning. It doesn't mean that, you know, you have to hop out of bed and have this deep conversation with your husband or something, but, you know, talk to your children um, as part of your morning routine. I'm not talking about those first few moments where you're just groggy and you're, you're just waking up, but in those moments where you are groggy and waking up, guess who you can connect with? Jesus. You can connect with him. We've talked about this. You know I'm a big fan of the morning offering. So yeah, definitely I'm going to encourage you to pray a morning offering in those first few moments of your day. Try to train yourself. And I know you can be good. You can get better at this because I have. Um, train yourself to do that first thing. Train yourself so that your first thoughts can be toward God and wanting to give your day to God. And the more you do it, the more it becomes a habit, the more it becomes a natural response. And it's a great habit to wake up first thing in the morning. And the first thing you do is just give your day to God. Maybe even before you get out of bed, that's when I do pray my morning offering is in those first few wakeful moments of my day, just connecting with God, giving him thanks for another day and offering him all that the day holds before you even know what's going to happen to you in that day. So connecting with God, but then once you're up and around, you know, maybe you have kids who are getting ready for school or a spouse that's getting ready for work as you're getting ready, connect with them in a positive, pleasant way. You don't have to be the chatty Kathy in the morning. Maybe people won't appreciate that. But, you know, just being with your kids, some of my most um happy conversations I've had with my littlest Danny, who's now 10, almost 11. Crazy. My baby's almost 11. That's insane. Anyway, um, he gets up early in the morning still. The other kids, you know, on the weekends and even on weekdays um, will sleep later than he will. And so I'm usually up in the morning, um, you know, fairly early. And that's a wonderful time that we have that we're just alone together. And he just talks about whatever, whatever's on his heart, whatever's on his mind, his thoughts, his ideas, and he asks questions about things. And it's just a really beautiful time that the two of us are able to connect without a lot of interruption. So your morning routine might allow for something like that with a, a family member who you wouldn't otherwise have quiet time with. So look for those opportunities to connect with people. That's where we find meaning in our lives and in our days is inside of our relationships, inside of our relationship with God, but then inside of our relationships with the people that God places in our lives. And that means the people who are around you as you're going about your morning routine. So connect, get up early enough and then connect. Um, number three, and you knew I was going to talk about this. You need to move your body. <laughs> you need to wake up. 
I don't mean you have to get up and hop right on the treadmill or run outside or lift weights immediately. Um, if your routine allows for that, I think, and I've shared this before on the podcast, the morning is a great time to get your exercise in because nothing else is interrupting yet. If you have that time set aside, it's kind of a no brainer. Just go and do it. Like after I record this, that's what I'm doing because it's still very early in the morning. But studies have shown that doing exercise and it doesn't have to be rigorous exercise and it doesn't have to be an hour long in the morning really affects your night's sleep that following night. You're setting your kind of hormonal rhythms and your metabolism for the day. And you're kind of teaching your body like now is when we wake up. So even if you don't have time to do a workout, do some stretches in the morning, do some, you know, if you're into yoga, do some yoga or do some lunges or some squats or whatever it is, you know, just get your body moving first thing in the morning. Just spend just five minutes even moving your body. Even if you're not going to do an all out workout, it really, it'll wake you up. It'll make you feel good. And ultimately it helps you to get a better night's sleep that following night and wake up better the next day. I mean, that's our goal, right? So move your body in the morning, even if it's not a workout. The fourth way to start your day right is to practice gratitude. This is something I have been really working on. Some people have like a gratitude journal and I'm just not that organized, but I have been working on in the mornings, in my prayer time in the morning, even if it's very short, even if I don't have a ton of time to um, really deeply pray in the morning, I certainly get that morning offering in. But then also I try to spend a little time being grateful for something, maybe um, something that's in that day. You know, um, I look forward to the day and think, okay, what it is, what is it? Or I look back on the day that happened before and what am I grateful for? Because that's part of what we're doing in the mornings, right? As you're kind of coming to your senses and waking up and having that first cup of coffee or whatever it is. And you're kind of thinking about your day ahead. Maybe you're reflecting on what happened the night before. You're kind of assessing things. And it's a great opportunity to encourage yourself to practice gratitude. We've talked a lot about this and we've had whole podcasts about gratitude here at Girlfriends. But it can be a part of your prayer for sure. You know, as you're going through that prayer time, thanking God for some part of your life, we all have things that we're grateful for and we need to be grateful for, even if you're going through a very bad time. But, you know, even secular studies show that practicing gratitude makes you happier, makes you healthier, makes your life more fulfilling. The people who practice gratitude are happier people. So make that part of your day. Make it part of what you do. You might be formal about it. Um, I went through, I guess it was Lent last year where I went through a routine where I would practice. Um, it was during a, a part of my morning commute. I was doing a certain drive every morning and I would try to think of five things that I was grateful for, five original things, creative things, whatever it was that I was grateful for each day. It's a great practice. And I think it really has helped me and shaped my prayer life into more of looking for opportunities like that, looking for things to be grateful for, as opposed to what my prayer life sometimes will devolve into, which is just giving Jesus a list of my demands and complaints about the previous day or about what I wanted to have happen that day. So practicing gratitude is a great way to start your day on the right foot with your relationships with other people too. 
not just in your prayer life and not just in setting yourself up mentally for the day, but wow, if you can verbalize gratitude to somebody in your life first thing in the morning, you know, thank you for making the coffee. Thank you for um, leaving the bathroom clean to your kids or whatever it is. Great way to start your day and um, really on the positive right path to set yourself up for success in your day. And now along with that is the final one that I want to share, which is set a goal. And this is a positive thing, right? You can be grateful for something and naturally kind of looking toward your day and set a goal for your day. And notice I didn't say goals because too often what we do is we overwhelm ourselves, especially during busy times. I know I've done this. Just make this huge to-do list, right, in the morning. And yeah, we all have times in our lives where we do need to make that huge to-do list. And sometimes it can be a bit of a relief to get it all on paper anyway. But just mentally, you don't have to be writing this out. Set what your biggest goal is for the day. And yeah, sometimes that is just getting through the day. Like if you're, uh, I know for years when I was a mom at home and, you know, we were going through a tough time with a baby or, you know, with newborn or a transition phase with a toddler or whatever it was that was uniquely challenging in my days in those times, or just the fact that I was home all day with little kids and there was a certain level of loneliness during certain phases of my motherhood with regard to that, getting through the day, you know? Um, and, and you might set a goal, like let's say you're a mom at home and you don't have like a work goal, maybe set a goal of having a positive activity with one of your kids during the day. Like um, during the baby's nap time, I'm going to do a puzzle together with the four-year-old or, you know, something like that. Or if you are working, a work-related goal could definitely um, apply here or a family-related goal or a housework-related goal. It doesn't have to be a huge thing, but something positive that you can set as your goal for the day. And setting it as your goal for the day doesn't mean if you don't accomplish it, you're a major failure, right? But I think we need to set goals. Like we need to have an idea of what's important to accomplish in this day, even if it's something small, but it gives us something positive to focus on. It kind of gives us an aim in our day. And yes, the all, you know, all encompassing general goal would be to live out my vocation in this day. But I mean, something more specific than that, something that's related to living out your vocation, pick a goal, pick one thing, I don't mean a whole list of things. And I don't even mean three things. I think that can be even daunting or overwhelming. But, you know, just tell yourself, okay, the the one thing I do want to accomplish today is this. And yes, you may not do it. It, it, you, you know, your plans can get upset in a thousand ways. We all know that. So it's okay to know that. But to, I think it's important to have the goal in the first place to know what's important to you, what, what things you value, what, what kind of work God is calling you to do today and what that might involve with specificity. So just try to keep that in mind. You know, first thing in the morning, the idea of setting a goal and whether you write it down or not is up to you. I know some people do that. They're really great. I think people are awesome who keep like written down calendars. I just have a digital calendar on my laptop and, you know, transfers to my phone. And even that sometimes I'm not great about writing it all down in there. But these people who keep these beautiful journals and write out their goals for the day or for the week and their meal plans and I so admire you guys. Anyway, if you enjoy that kind of thing, for sure you could write it down, but I don't think it's necessary to write it down. So that's my fifth thing. Fifth way to start your day right. So the five things are 
One, get up early enough, allow yourself enough time for a reasonable morning routine. Two, connect not with your phone, with God and with the people in your life. Three, move your body. That's just a refrain here at Girlfriends. I'm always telling you to do that. Number four, practice gratitude. And number five, set a goal. What are your morning routines? What things help you start your day right? What did I leave out or what was incomplete or what do you totally disagree with me about? Send me an email, share your feedback. I'd love to be able to share your wisdom and your experience with other people here at Girlfriends. You can email me at danielle at daniellebean.com or you can go to daniellebean.com and click leave voice feedback. On the lower right-hand side of the screen, there's a little bar that will take you over to SpeakPipe, and you can do that automatically with no special equipment. Or you can just make a recording on your iPhone and send it to me or connect with me on Voxer, which is that fun walkie-talkie type app that will connect us by our voices instantly. The link to connect with me on Voxer is in the show notes for this episode at daniellebean.com. Before we move on here, I just want to take a moment to thank those of you who support the Girlfriends Podcast through Patreon. Patreon is a simple system that allows you to pledge a dollar per episode, as little as a dollar per episode or more if you're able to, to show your appreciation and support of Girlfriends. And it really does encourage me to continue to produce the show week after week. Your support is more meaningful than you know. So thank you so much for doing it or for considering becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com forward slash girlfriends. I also want to thank Ascension Press for partnering with me to bring you this podcast. You can check out all of their media that entertains you, inspires you, and encourages you, and educates you about your Catholic faith at ascensionpresents.com. Now, I have just one bit of feedback from a listener that I'm going to share this week because it's a pretty big one and I want to talk a little bit about it. Um, I got an email this week from Jenny and I'm going to read it um, just to share with you her perspective. She says, Dear Danielle, I would like to thank you for all your great work, especially the podcasts. I listened to every single one and enjoyed it. I especially love that you're in a season that you have actually finished many battles. They're behind you and you can give real advice. For that reason, I would be so grateful if you could have time to address the topic in the subject of this email. The subject of her email is problem with finding an adequate spouse and hypocrisy among Catholic men. Uh, Okay. So if not, I totally understand. I apologize for the long email, but I would like to explain my situation the best I can. I am a devout, chaste, single 30-year-old Catholic girl with a stable and good day job and a healthy and emotionally stable lifestyle. When it comes to faith, I go to weekly mass, pray the rosary, and find joy and confidence in God. I also paint and do photography, graphic design, and DIY projects in my home. When I was younger, I courted, dated men in a graceful way, had a desire to get married and have children, prayed for that. Those dates ended for different reasons dates, sorry, those dates ended for different reasons without much drama, and it was not a big deal, although it was stressful and time-consuming for both sides. Finally, I met my last partner when I was 25, a charming Catholic guy who respected my chastity and said he was also saving sex for marriage, who shared most of my interests and hobbies. We spent a lot of time together, fell in love, got engaged, and started planning our life and wedding. In the course of our relationship, I suspected he watched porn and addressed that issue in an understanding and loving way. 
He opened totally up to me and admitted he used to visit swing clubs together with his brother as well as prostitutes. First, I believed that it belonged to the past, but then I left him because I did not believe he would not repeat that when we got married. Probably he was not doing that during our relationship and engagement. I have no proof he did that. But the last thing he told me was all Catholic men do that. How do you think chastity and NFP work? Men are not Jesus. Our grandmothers and mothers knew that. You believe in fairy tales. Since then, his words stuck in my head. I thank the Lord that I listened to my intuition and learned how men can be disrespectful and hypocrites without losing my dignity. But still, I have chosen to be single and in peace, and that period has lasted four years. I still want to live out my vocation, but not under those circumstances. I am not desperate or paranoid, but I am very cautious, and I have a fear that I am not capable of finding an adequate partner, or that if I start being available again, that I would make a great mistake." Thank you in any case for understanding. Kindest regards and all the best, Jenny. Oh my gosh. Um, this is huge. This is, this is a, I mean, there are so many topics to cover here, Jenny. First of all, thank you for um, trusting me with your question, with your struggles. Um, that That's really so, so encouraging to me that you would trust me with this particular topic, which is so deeply personal and, you know, uh, there's there's so much there. First of all, I want to tell you, Jenny, and I want to tell other people listening, if you are shocked and scandalized by what Jenny shared was going on in that relationship or had gone on in the past with that young man that she was dating, it is a very surprisingly and alarmingly common problem. Our culture of pornography has really hurt, really hurt young couples in particular. I have seen it over and over and over again among, you know, friends, among family, I have seen it and it's real. And there's, there's, um, there's so much pain and destruction of relationships that goes on as a result of our pornographic culture that victimizes young men first and then young women, uh, secondarily or as a consequence of that, like, like Jenny just described in this relationship. And I've even seen it inside of marriages, you know, that, um, I think you're actually very wise, Jenny, to, um, I don't know the details about this young man or what was going on in your relationship and what he was or was not engaged in during the time you were together. And like you said, you have no proof that he was doing anything, but you're wise to be cautious about that because there are people who bring those habits or at least, you know, some of that past into their current relationships and it destroys marriages. They, you know, they may not be fully engaged in that lifestyle when they do get married, but then life gets challenging and they slip up and they're right back in it. It just has that kind of addictive nature and that all encompassing relationship destroying nature. That's, that's what it is. And it's, it's sad and it's scary, but I find it's helpful to remember that nothing is more powerful than Jesus and nothing is more powerful than our good God who loves us and wants the best for us as destructive and scary as these forces of evil are, which pornography is a great force of evil in our culture, a great force. And if, you know, and I'm not saying you can't overcome it. You know, this young man that you were with, maybe he did overcome it. Um, It sounds like he got angry with you at the end of your relationship. And I'm sorry for the words he said to you. And I can understand how words like that would stick with you and kind of, you know, chip away at 
the, the kind of trust that you need to have in a relationship, chip away at your hopefulness for the future and make you feel like all is lost and there are no good men. And, um, you know what? It's true. There are no good men and there are no good women. <laughs> Ultimately, we're all damaged. We're all flawed. We're all weak. We, we all sin. So I think it's important to keep that in mind as well as you're discerning whether or not to look for someone to marry, get back into dating and actively kind of seek a Catholic spouse. I think it's important to keep in mind Yes, you do, you know, you do want to set certain standards and there are, there are certain red flags, you know, about someone's past that maybe you don't want to go into marriage embracing, but at the same time, remembering that nobody is perfect. And if you're looking for the perfect spouse to marry, you're not going to find him. Not on this side of heaven. He's not here. We're all flawed and you're flawed and I'm flawed. And I think it's important to remember that, but that doesn't mean embracing the flaws and it doesn't mean, you know not recognizing the powerful force of destruction that uh, porn addiction is and how it will, it will destroy your relationship. You cannot have a healthy marriage if um, one of you is engaging in that kind of lifestyle. So really important. But I also, I want you to know, Jenny, that you're, you're not alone because I think that there's probably some level of shame that you feel having been associated with that or embarrassment that you didn't know for the time where you didn't know or whatever it is. And I'm sure that's also part of what played into what, um, your, your former fiance said to you and the kind of anger that he had is his own guilt and his own shame. Um, and, you know, so that's just a, a sad consequence of human sin and human failure. Um, but I want you to know that you're not alone, Jenny, because this is a sadly common situation. And a lot of people go into it kind of blind, or you might see signs of it and don't want to, you know, fully engage like the, your partner on asking him, you know, what he's been doing and what he's involved in and what his past might be with regard to pornography. But these are important questions to ask. And I am grateful that you, you did ask them and that you did explore that so that, um, I, I think it, that relationship wasn't meant to be for sure. Um, but as you're now discerning whether or not to get back into dating, I think that's such a difficult thing. But do you know what it comes down to? It comes down to, can we trust other human beings? No, not with any level of certainty, but can we trust Jesus? Can we trust God's plan? Yes. Yes, we can trust Jesus. And I think that that ultimately is all any of us ever needs to be doing. And it's the biggest challenge and the biggest struggle. It is for me, you know, um, not placing my trust in other human beings, not placing my trust in a bank account, not placing my trust in social status or marital status or owning a certain kind of house or being involved in a certain kind of work or whatever it is, learning to not place our trust in those things and instead place our, place our trust in Jesus is the biggest task that's set before any of us, regardless of what our life circumstances are. That's what all of us need to be doing. And it's so hard sometimes. It is so hard, especially if you've been hurt as you have been, especially if you felt rejected as you have been. I think it's really the most important thing any of us can do 
is trust in Jesus. And it's something I actually have personally been working on in my own life recently is more consciously praying for greater trust because I recognize that I am not trusting in Jesus. The temptation is always to trust in these other things, even very good things that we have in our lives, like our, our, the good relationships we have with family or with friends or with, with our children or with our parents or whatever it is, those, those very good things in our lives. The temptation is to place our trust in those things. But we need to place our trust in Jesus and be confident in that. Um, because you know what? All these other things are going to fail us. All these other things aren't truly trustworthy in the way that Jesus is. And, you know, I really think it is a fundamental thing for every human being, especially if you look at it and think back to original sin, right? What was that original sin? It really wasn't so much disobedience, right? When Eve ate the apple, it was a lack of trust in God. That was the first sin. Do you remember when Satan was tempting Eve in the garden? What did he say to her? He was asking her what God told her about the tree and about the fruit on the tree. And she said, he said, if we eat it, we will die. And then what did Satan say to her? What did the serpent in the garden say to Eve way back in that story in Genesis? He said to her, you will not die. He knows that if you eat that, you'll become like him. Right. So what did he do? What did Satan do in that very first moment of human failure, human weakness? He placed those feelings and thoughts of doubt and mistrust in Eve's heart. And she responded to them thinking, oh, maybe God doesn't want what's good for me. Maybe I need to take what I think is good for me. Maybe I need to grasp at things myself and not trust in God. That was the first sin. And when I reflect on that with regard to my own life and my own failure to trust Jesus, it becomes so clear to me that that's the fundamental sin. Whenever we're grasping at other things, whenever we're placing our trust in other things, it's out of that sense of not feeling secure, of not trusting Jesus to want what's good for us and thinking, I need to do it myself, right? So I think it, Jenny, in your situation, it will be really helpful for you to, to pray on that and to reflect on that idea of trusting Jesus with regard to this very big decision in your life. It is a very big decision and um, it's not something you want to do carelessly. So for sure, um, that, it, you know, trusting in Jesus, if you're going to decide to go out and, and, and date again, put yourself out there again, be vulnerable in that way again, do it in a prayerful way where you're trusting in Jesus to guide you, trusting in Jesus to help you find the person that he wants for you to marry, if that is his plan for you. And that can give you confidence. You don't have to have confidence in other human beings because we really truly, at the end of the day, we can't. They're going to fail us. They're going to disappoint us in a hundred ways. And we're going to disappoint ourselves in a hundred ways. So it's it's important to remember that trust in Jesus is absolutely fundamental here. And it's the core of what every one of us struggles with. Whatever sin any of us struggles with in our lives, I really feel like that's at the heart of it. It's that lack of trust in Jesus. So um, I'm going to pray for you, Jenny, and I'm going to invite others here in the Girlfriends community to join me in praying for Jenny um, as she discerns this important part of her life, whether or not she's going to begin dating again and, and allow God to guide her through that process, allow God to help her to know um, if he wants her to, to marry and if and who he wants her to marry, what his plan is for her life. And so let's pray for Jenny this week, girlfriends. And um, together as a community, let's, let's pray for Jenny to have an increased trust in Jesus as she goes about this important change, this important step discerning what's next in her life. God bless you, Jenny.
If you have thoughts to share about Jenny's story or about anything else that we've shared here at Girlfriends this week, I would love to hear from you. I would love to have your feedback. I'd love to have your voice feedback if you're able to give it. But even just good old-fashioned email like Jenny shared this week, you can email me at danielle at daniellebean.com. And now lastly, I just want to share a few places that I'm going to be in the coming month or so, a little more than a month. Um, you know, I'm speaking at a few different conferences and I'm going to be um, giving my You're Worth It retreat at a few different places in the coming months. And I'm really looking forward to that because there's a real joy in sharing, especially the message of You're Worth It with women at parishes all over the country. It is such a blessing and such a privilege for me to be able to do that. Um, so some places I'm going to be, and I would love it, if you are in these areas, if you could come out to these events and say hi, because there's nothing more enjoyable for me at a conference than when someone tells me, hey, I listen to Girlfriends, then I know you get it. I know you're one of us. And um, that's really meaningful to me. So um, coming up September 30th, which is a Saturday, I'm going to be at St. Elizabeth Seton Church in Carmel, Indiana. I'm going to have a great day for women there putting on the Your Worth It retreat. Um, you can find out more about the retreat. I'll put a link in the show notes to find out the dates and times and of this particular one on September 30th, um, where it's going to be and all those details. Uh, but if you just want to find out more about the retreat in general, and maybe think about having me come out to a parish near you or putting together a women's group to um, host a day of your worth it for the women in your community, you can find out more about that at daniellebean.com forward slash retreat. I offer a free copy of my Your Worth It book for anybody who's not familiar with it so they can familiarize themselves with the themes of the book because those are the themes of the retreat. Inside of the retreat, we look at, and this is in the book too, we look at Jesus's relationship with women in the gospels, the real life women who walked with him and talked with him and spoke with him and were taught by him and were healed by him. And what messages Jesus has for us inside of those words he had with real life women, inside of those relationships he had with real life women, those interactions are deeply meaningful to us as women today. They mean a lot and we can learn a lot about Jesus's unique love for women and unique love for each and every one of us inside of those stories of the Gospels. So that's part of what we do with the You're Worth It retreat. And if you want more information about that or about bringing it to your community, you can go to daniellebean.com forward slash retreat. Okay, then I'm going to be at um, a couple of different conferences. I'm going to be at the Together in Holiness Conference, which is a couples conference in Wichita, Kansas on Saturday, October 21st. I'm going to be speaking at the Catholic Women's Conference in Winona, Minnesota on Saturday, October 28th. I hope I'll see you there. And I'm going to be in St. Augustine, Florida for another Together in Holiness couples retreat um, on Saturday, November 4th. The Together in Holiness uh, conference days that are designed for couples are really just a great day of enrichment for couples. It's not like marriage encounter or anything that's super focused like that on your relationship. But there's marriage building um, information and inspiration. Um, there are speakers that talk about family life. There's so many resources available at these conferences. Really a great way for you to connect with your spouse and just spend a day focused on your vocation together, especially on your family life. So um, I'll put all of those dates and links to more information in the show notes at daniellebean.com. But like I said, if you're interested in having me speak at a conference that you're putting on or that's going on in your area, you can get more information about that at daniellebean.com forward slash speaking. I'd love to come out and meet you. 
And that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you for spending this time with me. I do not take for granted the fact that we all have a limited number of hours in our week and that you choose to spend some of your precious time here with me connecting in this way on Girlfriends. I truly, truly am encouraged by that and I really appreciate it. So thank you for being here. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a DanielleBean.com production. Know your worth, find your joy.